Hey, if you've ever thought about creating an online course, some sort of a product, either for bigger impact, to have residual income, to have recurring income, you're going to love today's guest. I am bringing on a special guest who is going to, he's all about online courses. He's actually built an entire company on this called Marisy, and he's got a number of books. And his most recent book, which is called Online Courses, which I recently read, I had the privilege of having a pre-copy, and it is a business parable. You're going to love today's guest. Let's get on to the show. You're listening to Be In Demand, the podcast for honest advice, inspiring stories, and ideas for growing your business by leveraging the expert that you are. I'm your host, Loria Mirabito, business mentor, and I'm also a reformed painfully shy girl, red wine lover, and exercise enthusiast. Join me as I share how being positioned as the expert in your industry, even if it's a busy one, will help you stand out and be the one in demand to hire and work with. So hey, welcome back. So let me just introduce our guest today. Danny Eine, he is the founder and CEO of Marisy, which is a leading voice in the world of online courses. He's been featured in publications such as Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur, and he actually contributes regularly to places like Inc., Forbes, and Business Insider. He's spoken at places like Yale University and Google and other such type places. And his work on strategy training actually won him a special recognition from Fast Company as world-changing idea. He's also the author of multiple best-selling books and online education books, such as Leverage Learning, Teach Your Gift, and most recently, Online Courses. Please help me welcome Danny. I'm so excited to have you on here. So like I normally do with most of my guests, I have a couple of questions just to get us warmed up. What are you super proud of? My kids. How many kids do you have? I have two. My daughter is going to be six in May and my son turned four in October. Oh my God, what lovely, lovely ages. Um, And to be, you know, so impressionable too. Well, I mean, impressionable, but also like, you know, they have very clear perspectives and worldviews and, uh, and and that's really cool to see. Yeah, I bet it is. So my second question for you is what habit could you not live without? Uh, my morning walk. Um, for a, a couple of years now with like, you know, I think maybe I've missed two or three days literally over the course of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I wake up early. I've always been a I've always been a morning person, but with small children, I've become more of a morning person. But, you know, 6 a.m., I'm out for my walk, um, rain or shine or snow or hail or whatever. Um, If it's very, I live in Montreal. So, you know, winter is when it's like, you know, minus 20, minus 30 below zero outside, you know, it'll be a shorter walk and I'll be bundled up, but I'll do a minimum of 20 minutes and usually closer to an hour every morning. And it, it keeps me sane. So is there a particular reason why you started doing this? You know, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure where it started. Um, I I don't know where it started, but I I definitely remember where I was. It was summer almost two years ago. I was in Finland for my brother's wedding. Um, And I don't remember if it was a podcast I listened to or it's probably something that I'd been thinking about for a while, but I I just was like, I'm going to just do this every day. Um, 
That's wonderful. Because yeah. <laughs> I've got some clients that they commit to like 10 or 15 minutes of quiet time, like every single day. So when I heard you say like, yeah, like I take, this is what I do. I take a walk. I was thinking that's where I went to um, first was like, that's just such a form of like quiet time mm -hmm. you know, just to really gather your thoughts and, and start the day off on the right foot right foot, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not usually quiet because I'm listening to a podcast, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's fresh air, it's movement, it's, you know, either the podcast is interesting or, you know, you're ignoring it and your mind is wandering. So either way, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how long have you, like, when did you start Miracy and how long have you been teaching people about online courses? Um, so it depends a little bit when you count. So I started this business um, in like late 2010, early 2011. And it had a different name at the time. And a few years into it, we rebranded as Miracy, but it's the same business. So, you know, it's been Miracy since I want to say 2013 or 20, no, 2015, probably. Um, either way, a long time ago, but it was, we were, we were running this business since before that. And I've been teaching about online courses for close to a decade now. So it's going on a while. Wow. Like before it was trendy. <laughs> Yeah, you know, before it was cool. <laughs> right. And I know that you and I have, have spoken before and you have a unique perspective and approach to online courses. And can you just share a little bit about that? Yeah, because so I just like I just hear so many people saying, oh, yeah, I want to build a course. I want to build a course. And then it becomes like the, I know that, it be, you know, even some of my clients, like it becomes this overwhelming task. And I just think that, you know, like people like yourself, that like, this is what you teach people, you know, so that they have successful courses. Yeah. So, I mean, I look at this, I think a little bit differently from a lot of the industry um, on a philosophical level and on a methodological level. So, you know, from a methodological standpoint, in terms of how do you do it, how do you do it successfully? Um, a lot of people have this idea of, you know, I'm going to go into my back cave. I'm going to work on this until I emerge with my magnum opus masterpiece of a course and the world's going to love it. And that's all backwards. We teach a very um, lean startup-y kind of approach to building and selling courses. So figuring out what your market wants, validating it with the minimum viable version of that, which we call a pilot. Um, some people call that a beta course, but um, I don't love that terminology, but whatever. I don't either. Um, but you, you roll out a pilot, you deliver it usually live, usually in a very dynamic way with your students, which allows you to co-create the experience and learn from what they need. And that is your ultimate validation that you're on the right track and also input to making something great. And, and that methodology feeds into kind of the, the philosophical, what I believe should be true about an online course is that it's a vehicle for transformation. You know, a lot of the criticisms about the online courses industry are about completion rates, right? The average completion rate of online courses in this industry is abysmal, it's in the single digits. And like, it's just crazy. I mean, show me another industry where 90 plus percent of your customers can get no results and you're still in business. Show me another industry where 90% of your customers can get no results and you're not in jail, right? right. Like, it's crazy. But for, for a variety of weird historical reasons, it just kind of emerged like this and it's changing. The, the consumer base, the customers are, really losing patience with it very fast. But if you make a promise, which is what, you know, come sign up for my course about XYZ, XYZ is a promise. It's that at the end of it, you will be able to do certain things, right? You have to be able to deliver on that. And my rule of thumb is that if one of your students is unsuccessful, maybe it's your student's fault. 
But if all of your students are unsuccessful, it's probably your fault, right? And you have to do something about it. Okay, so my next question was going to be <laughs> about like, why do you think like there's this low complete? Because I, when I hear it, when I've heard that stat before, I think, you know, like we get that project ADD. It's like, oh, this sounded like a good idea, but now I'm jumping over to this idea over here. And we just kind of love like idea hop. Mm -hmm. We can. And that's a part of it. There's, you know, you're never going to get to 100% because there are going to be people who they're like, yeah, this looks cool. And then before the, you know, before the ink is dry on the check that they wrote to you, like they're off to something else. But that accounts for, I don't know, 10, 20, 30% of your customers. Again, it doesn't account for the majority, right? For the most part, if you're selling a course at a premium price, it's a non-trivial investment. People thought about it. They're like, you know, maybe their fingers trembling a little bit before they hit the button to confirm. They're like, yes, I want to do this. So there's a certain amount of intentionality and momentum pointed in the direction of, I want to move forward. And so why were you the course creator not able to harness that momentum to bring them forward? Why were there so much, so many roadblocks and why was there so much friction that, you know, it ground them to a halt and put them in this headspace? So I wonder what else I could do. Right? Like, are you working off of some muscle memory of I'm going to do this in five minutes later, I'm going to look around for something else? Sure you are. Right? But, you know, that's that you shouldn't take your food out of the microwave before it's ready. But so, you know, microwaves come with instructions, press the button, it's going to stop when it's ready, right? You know, other other products work around the challenges that they're going to have in terms of how the user interacts with the challenge, you have to do the same thing. And a lot of course creators have not done much of that again, because of the history of how we arrived to courses as they are today. Can you say more on that? Because I actually, I, I don't even know like the history of all of these different courses and how, like just the history of this online courses. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we've got to keep in mind that online courses as a, as a vehicle of delivering content and information, it's relatively new because anything online is relatively new, right? 10, 15, 20 years, that's, that's the life cycle of online. And so in the early days of any new market, any new opportunity, you know, there's, I'm sure everyone who's watching this or listening to this is familiar with Everett Rogers' diffusion of innovation curve, right? It's the bell curve where you've got innovators, then early adopters, then the mainstream buyers, et cetera. So any new opportunity emerges onto the scene, like online courses. And the first people who are going to jump in are those innovators. They're excited about the possibility of what's coming. Right? They want to be on the bleeding edge. They don't care that it's kind of clunky. They tend to be price insensitive. If you think about the very first smartphones, they were not all that smart. They were bricks. The battery barely, barely lasted you know, a couple of hours. It ran four apps and it barely did that before it crashed. And they cost a fortune. And innovators are okay with that. Right? They're okay to overinvest and take on some of that challenge to be first. And so a lot of the buyers of online courses were like, yes, this is you know, cool. I can, I can get this knowledge and information and skill. You know, great, I'll spend a lot of money for that on the promise, on the, on the excitement. And the online courses didn't do a great job of delivering because the people who were creating these online courses for the, more, for the most part, they were not educators. They're not people who understand how to deliver transformation in this, in this medium. And they conflated the business model of online courses with the business model of publishing. Right, so publishing is about putting out information. So let's think about offline analogs. The, the archetypal information product is a book. So you go to a bookstore, you find the book that purports to have the information you're looking for, 
You take it to the register, you pay for it, not a lot of money because it doesn't cost much to replicate information. And then as soon as money changes hands and you walk out of that bookstore, you're on your own. Nobody owes you anything, not the author, not the publisher, not the bookstore owner, right? What you do with it is on you. And that's okay when you're spending a relatively small amount of money on information because information is great for expanding your horizons and showing you what's possible. It's great for integrating new knowledge into existing expertise. Information is not good at imparting competence. We don't get good at things by reading books. To get good at things, we need a real educational experience. So the archetypal education offer is, let's call it a, a course at a university. So you register for a course, you pay for it, a lot of money, and there are a variety of reasons for that. Some, you know, some which I have, I have issues with, but you know, it does it does cost more to deliver. You need the instructor, you need the grounds, you need the infrastructure, the equipment. There, there's more that goes into it. And notice what you're paying for. You're not paying for the diploma. You can't buy the diploma, or at least you shouldn't be able to. Right? What you're buying is a seat in the course. You're buying the opportunity to earn that diploma, and you still have a responsibility to do your work. Right? If, if you don't show up, then it's on you. But if you do show up, it is reasonable for you to expect that the instructor, the teacher's assistant, the institution will do what they need to do to help you succeed. So responsibility for your success is a partnership between teacher and student. And that is not the approach that online course creators have taken for, again, because it was new on the scene, because they were not educators, because they didn't know any better, because they were like, ooh, cool, I can, I can you know, record these videos once and charge $2,000 times 1,000 students and you know, no cost of fulfillment and boom, it's beautiful, right? But the, that, that was okay, it wasn't okay. But you, know, you could get away with that in the days of the innovators and early adopters. Now, especially with COVID and the pandemic pushing everything into the mainstream, regular mainstream buyers won't tolerate that. Right. And I, I actually want to talk to you about like what happened last year, but just listening to you talk about um, universities. So I have a degree in exercise physiology. And one of the classes that I had to take was chemistry. Chemistry is not an easy class. And it's, it's just like you said, it's very dependent on the, the, the teacher, the professor. And my first round of chemistry, I just like, I totally checked out because she was so freaking boring and took it the following year. And instead of doing like an hour at a time, I did an hour and a half with this amazing instructor who was at night. He had a degree, he had a master's in education, not chemistry. He was so damn good that I had to take part two and I took it in a three hour once a week because he was, it was just like, when are you teaching? I'll be there. Cause he was just, he was so damn good. So just like you're saying, like, it's very dependent on like, you know, like, yeah, like who's teaching it. And teaching is a skill. Is. Mm -hmm. Like teaching is a skill. And this is a lot of the criticism about, I mean, there's so much to criticize about universities, but you know, often they don't reward the, the good teachers. They're, they're rewarding people who are researchers and who are publishing and, you know, the incentives are completely misaligned and, and that's, we can have a, an hour long conversation just about that, but I feel like that's off topic for, right. <laughs> for what we're here to discuss today. But let's talk about like what happened this past year the, with this global pandemic. I mean, you must have seen, I mean, like there was like, I definitely like in my business saw an increase in clients, people mm -hmm. wanting to just like, instead of me having this corporate job and depending on somebody else for my 
for my paycheck, for my, my livelihood. I'm just, I'm going to become more responsible for it and create it myself. So I'm curious to what happened, you know, with Marisi and with your business. Oh, we, so we grew a lot in the last year as well. We were very well positioned um, to support people with something that all of a sudden a lot of people really wanted and needed. Um, and it was a combination of things. Part of it was, you know, all of a sudden everyone's home and they're like, well, what can I do? Right. Their income had been displaced. Like I want to create something, but also, you know, if the pandemic had happened five years earlier, I don't know that we would have seen the same uptake because the technology wasn't quite ready. It wasn't quite there. Mainstream awareness of what online courses was, wasn't quite there. Like it was kind of getting to that tipping point before the pandemic, right? Go back five years. If you ask a person off the street, where can I take a course? They would have said, I don't know, the community college, university or rec center, maybe, right? They wouldn't have thought to say online, but because over the last five and longer years, some, some very big players have spent a lot of time and energy and money bringing these ideas into the mainstream. Players like Coursera that are, that are filing soon for IPO. Players like uh, LinkedIn Learning, which used to be lynda.com before they were acquired for one and a half billion dollars. Players like Creative Live and Masterclass and the list goes on, right? They helped to push this idea of online courses into the mainstream. And so the pandemic happened at just this exact right moment of the technology being ready, of people kind of already knowing what online courses were. And it having got to that point of mainstream where it's not just, you know, oh yeah, it's these weird snake oil people on infomercials. It's like, no, legit experts in their field. This is, this is how they disseminate their knowledge and expertise now. And so because of the timing and the fact that all of a sudden everyone had to be at home, everyone had to do everything online, what would have taken five or 10 years in terms of mass adoption happened in basically 12 weeks. Um, and, and we're not going back. I mean, the numbers are continuing to grow. So it's, it's a very exciting time for online courses. I mean, very unfortunate, the circumstances that led to it, but yes, you know, yes. here we are. But just like you said, you know, the technology was in place, everything just happened at the perfect time. And what are some of like your students, like, um, cause I would imagine, because I mean, I've heard of people like starting membership sites on like dog training, mm -hmm. um, you know, like horse, horse riding. I mean, just some of these really interesting things that I would have never thought would go online, but people like, you know, with, with technology, like we can take these things online. What are some of the most interesting courses that some of your students have, um, have started, have created? Yeah. I mean, there, so there's so many of them. Um, we've literally worked with thousands of people and just since the pandemic. So, you know, there's a lot to choose from, but I'll, I'll share two that come to mind. And I, I like them both because they were both very successful, but also they're both in areas that you wouldn't think would be easy to do online. So the first is um, Kira Schumacher. And uh, what, what they do is they teach um, I, I'm not going to give the exact right terminology because it's not my expertise, but some specialized form of bodywork training for other body workers. So people who are massage and structural therapists, Kira teaches them how to apply this very particular methodology, right? And before the pandemic, this had been done through in-person, hands-on, I mean, literally hands-on workshops, right? And so when pandemic happened, income ground to zero, and they transitioned very quickly with our help to let's create online courses where we teach how to do this. And uh, their, their business actually doubled from year to year instead of going to zero, which is what happened to a lot of competitors in the space. The other one that comes to mind is a gentleman named Ian Roberts. Ian is a very accomplished um, painter. 
and he teaches, among other things, he teaches composition in painting. So, you know, how do you figure out, like, you know, what's going to go where um, on, on your painting? And so he put this drawing course together. And again, drawing feels, A, it's very visual. B, you want feedback and figure out a really interesting mechanism for how can students submit their work and, you know, really interesting setup. And again, hugely successful. He did, um, I believe, about six figures in, in revenue on his courses in the year following the pandemic. So there's so many of these stories. But what's interesting is that if you really think creatively, you can A, do really, really well. And you can do really well even in areas where people would have thought, yeah, I don't know that I can take this online. Well, actually, you can. You just need to you need to think about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, that's just amazing. You know, drawing classes, music classes, body work classes, stuff that you're right. It was an in person, you know, sort of an event, and now it's like like we were forced to be at home. And mm -hmm. like you're right, like how you know, like that was one of the things that I actually said early on in the pandemic was like when this is done like who are you going to be you know because it was such a wonderful opportunity to actually learn something new or take what you know and put it out there so that you can actually like help other people like you know exactly what you're doing so there's this really interesting study and i don't remember where i saw it so i can't give credit but um they they were looking at tra like traffic patterns in i think somewhere in the uk and there was a closure of a, of a subway or metro station. And so traffic patterns changed because you know people had to find a different way to get to work. And then they finished the repairs and the subway opened up again. And they found that you know most people went back to that original commute. But about, I forget, I think maybe 10% of people kept the new commute. Like in other words, they found that, oh, actually it's better. Maybe I've been commuting the quote unquote wrong way for five years, for 10 years, right? And they were like, actually, this is better. I'm gonna stick with this. And that's what's so interesting about the change that the pandemic has forced, because there are two reasons not to change something, right? There's the legit reasons, which is, you know, the way I used to do it was better, right? Case in point, my daughter turned five shortly after the pandemic began. So she had a Zoom birthday party, right? We want to go back to in-person birthday parties, yeah. right? It, it was just better before. Yes. So some things are better. But then there's the inertia of, you know, I don't want to do this Zoom thing and I don't want to get on the Facebook and, you know, it's, it's that kind of mentality. And the pandemic forced everyone who was feeling that inertia, it's like, you know what, too bad, online right now. And with all that inertia being swept away, a, a large portion of people are going to be like, you know what, this is actually good. Now that I've tried it, I'm going to stick with it. And so it's been a really interesting time of reinvention for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, it really has. It really has. So I know, because I already, I already introduced and talked about how I got an early copy of this book and how wonderful it was, online courses for people who were just listening to the podcast. It's a wonderful business parable. Um, talk to us about the new book and what you got coming up. Yeah, thank you. Um, and thank you for, for saying you liked it. It, uh, it means a lot, you know, as an author. Yeah, I really, um, I really enjoyed it. And just as a sneak um, for anybody who's going to snag a copy of this, he really does. And this was one of the things that I really liked about it, Danny, was how you really captured the, um, the emotion of an entrepreneur as they really do take for granted the stuff that they know. And like, 
but not everybody else knows this information. And I just loved the story about how she just kind of like came to life and like, oh, like what I do so easily, like this could be a course. It was just, yeah, it was a great story and emotion. Thank you. Thank you. That, that, that means a lot to me to hear. Um, you know, that journey is really why I wrote the book in this way, because I've, I've written a few books now about online courses. And something that I found is that, you know, people would pick up my books and be like, you know, really interesting. And I've learned about the, you know, the market forces shaping the opportunity for online courses and the steps to take and all that kind of stuff. But the things that trip people up on the journey is not so much the, you know, I, I didn't know what step four was and I didn't know how to go, you know, at that particular juncture. It's that there is an experience of this journey that has these emotional ups and downs. And when people set out on it, they don't see it coming. So I wanted to, to teach this content, but through this vehicle that allows you to see what the journey is like, you know, kind of strap in as, you know, you're riding shotgun with someone who's, who's going on the journey and you see what the ups are, you see what the downs are, you see where people stumble typically along the way and, and you know, how to work through it and come out the other side. So it's, it's very gratifying to hear you say that it, it seems to have landed. You did a nice job. Thank you. So what do you got coming up besides uh, the book launch? Uh, well, the book is out and uh, we're, we're doing all kinds of exciting stuff around the book launch. So depending on when you're listening to this, um, there may be an opportunity to get a free copy of the book. Um, I, I know LA is gonna share uh, links by email and that kind of stuff. Um, if it's past the deadline for that, don't email me being like, can I please get it for free? It is Amazon's terms of service reasons, not mine. So no matter how much I ask, Jeff Bezos is not changing the terms for me. Um, but you know, the book is still there. Anyone can get a copy. And we've got a whole bunch of free training and resources kind of in celebration of the book. So that's an opportunity to learn more about my work and to take a few more steps in the direction of that online course business. Mm, wonderful. Thank you. So I got a closing couple of questions for you. And what books are on your nightstand or what books are you reading right now? So the book that I'm reading right now, I, I, I kind of go through books in two formats. So I read before bed on Kindle and I listen to audiobooks on my phone in, in the mornings. So on my phone, I've got like 15 books I'm really excited to get to. Um, and I can, I can pull it up right now and give you some titles if you want. Yeah, please um, do. So I'll pull that up. And while I do that, I'll share that the book I'm reading right now um, before bed is a biography of Walt Disney, which is not nearly as interesting as I hoped it would be. I'm, I'm, I'm not far enough into it. I haven't given up yet, but I'm like, because I'm fascinated by the person. I was like, I, I was really hoping the biography would be better. So like Steve Jobs is much better. Um, Leonardo da Vinci, like other biographies have been a lot better, but hopefully it picks up. So, so you're um, a big biography fan? Um, not historically, as in my history, but lately I've, I've been reading, um, I've read some good biographies of business and other, and other leaders, which have been interesting. But okay, so here are some titles um, that are on my phone right now that uh, you, you'll kind of find like there's, there's business books, there's education books, and there's sociology books. So The Culture Map by Aaron Mayer, Courage to Grow by Laura Sandifer, Creative Schools by uh, Ken Robinson, um, the Parasitic Mind by Gad Saad, um, Reinforcements by Heidi Grant, um, B2.0, Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0 by Jim Collins, and Nonsense by Jamie Holmes. And, I love that. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward, once the book launch is done, I'm going to take a whole bunch of time to just go for walks and listen, because I'm, I'm excited about all of these. 
And it's the perfect time of the year. The weather's getting warmer. Exactly. And so one final question um, before you share with everybody where they can find you, what's a piece of advice that you wish that you had learned years ago? Um, so here's how this was articulated to me by a friend and mentor um, that really stuck. So this is someone who, who's in touch with a lot of authors and said, you know, I noticed that when someone's coming out with their first book, they have a tendency of being like, you know, this is, this is the book. It's like my magnum opus, everything is riding on this. Whereas a few books in, you start realizing you change the language. It's not, this is the book, this is my next book, right? You know, everything you do, even if it seems huge right now, it's the next step on a long journey and maintaining that perspective. I think it, it, it just gives you some distance. It lowers the stakes a little bit. Um, you know, enjoy what goes well, but you know, the whole, this too shall pass. It's, it, it's a step for good or for, or for bad. Um, I, I like to tell students that failure is only failure if it happens in the last chapter, otherwise it's a plot twist. So whether this goes well or not, hopefully it's a plot twist. Nice. And I, I do think um, you're right. Like that first book is not the be all. Um, mm -hmm. I actually look at it as like, it's a, it's a warm up. It's a dress rehearsal for the next book. And I think what really got me actually to write, you know, like I wrote the first book when I was speaking on leadership and with NSA, National Speakers Association, it's always write a book, write a book, write a book. And it was a friend of mine who has written a number of books. And he was the one who said to me that, and it just stuck, you know, if you write one book, you're not an author. And I was just like, hmm, okay. You know, and I, I just kind of took it to heart. And I, I don't know how everybody feels like who's listening to this, but it actually got me to write my next book. And I have to say like my second book was definitely better than my first book because you're right. Like you're just getting in a groove and you, you just learn different things with each book. You d learn different things, I would imagine with each course that you put out. Absolutely. And you know, unless you're on your deathbed, one hopes that your best work is still way into the future. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. So where can people find you, learn more about you? Um, they can go to Miracy, M-I-R-A-S-E-E.com. Um, they can search my name on Amazon, Danny Eaney. There's lots of stuff there. The latest book is called Online Courses. And um, someone told me once the best way to buy book, uh, books is in bulk. Um, so I would encourage you to do that. Um, and uh, to get in on all the exciting book launch action, um, I'm sure Ellie's going to put a link in the show notes or she'll send a link by email, but watch for that and she'll, uh, she'll point you in the right direction. Yep. So if you're listening to this or if you're watching this, just check down below the show notes, all the links will be in there so that you can easily take advantage of all the information that was shared here on the show. Danny, thank you so much for taking time to, uh, to have this chat with, uh, with me and my audience. And it's been, it's, it's been really eye-opening. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure and privilege. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for hanging out with me. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And join me over in my private Facebook group for more tips, community, and free trainings. You'll find the link in the show notes. You can also help this podcast reach more listeners by leaving a review. And as a thank you, each month I pick one of my reviewers to win a free coaching call with me. So if you haven't done so already, please leave a review and you could be the next winner.
Are you ready to leverage speaking as your best form of marketing? There are over 7,500 events looking for speakers every single day. Speaking positions you as the expert in the room, but you probably don't know where to start. So I created this great resource called the Directory of Places to Speak. This resource will help you get started today. So head on over to speakandstandout.com forward slash directory to grab your free copy now. Don't miss this opportunity to be the expert speaking to audiences filled with your ideal clients.